disputé de tous. I don't want to set the world on fire. We interrupt our program to bring you this important message. Good evening, good afternoon, or good morning, whenever it may be, wherever you may be, and however you may be hearing my voice. Whether it be via download through one of the many podcast platforms, or if you are listening to the premiere on the Alternate Current Radio's live stream, I appreciate you tuning in and joining me as we attempt to navigate the shark-infested waters of the agenda-centivized media and look past the propaganda. This is your daily dose of what's currently all the ruckus. What in God's name is going on in here? What was that ruckus? Uh, what ruckus? I was just in my office and I heard a ruckus. Could you describe the ruckus, sir? Watch your tongue, young man. Watch it. As the passage of time moves relentlessly in a forward motion, one of the side effects is that we eventually learn something new about the world around us the people, the places, and the things. In fact, to truly know everything about something, the key ingredient is, without a doubt, time. This, of course, is why, usually, the general stages of the development cycle of a vaccine, according to the CDC's own website, are an exploratory stage, a preclinical stage, clinical development, regulatory review and approval, manufacturing, and then quality control. Clinical development itself is a three-phase process. During phase one, small groups of people receive the trial vaccine. In phase two, the clinical study is expanded and vaccine is given to people who have characteristics such as age and physical health, similar to those for whom the new vaccine is intended. In phase three, the vaccine is given to thousands of people and tested for efficacy and safety. Many vaccines undergo a formal phase four, which is ongoing studies after the vaccine is approved and licensed. Now, I promise I'm only using this as an example, but while I'm on the subject as a side note, I'm sure you don't need me to remind you that the current so-called vaccines being used to fight the so-called invisible enemy somehow managed to skip past the progress of time and went straight to a handful of so-called experts, hailing them as completely quote-unquote safe and effective, as if they did indeed know everything about them. That's a neat little trick, don't you think? Anyways, I recently discovered some interesting facts about some things in our world that I'd like to share with you today, dear listener. And armed with this knowledge, you may be one step closer to knowing everything about everything, if indeed that happens to be your goal in life. Not mine. I hate it when someone accuses me of being a know-it-all. I'm not, and I'm happy for it. The beauty of not knowing everything is that there's always something new to learn. And I, for one, find joy in discovery. Don't you? Oh, you might want to wait to answer that until the end of this episode. You're listening to Alternate Current Radio. I'm Adam Clark, and this is The Daily Ruckus. Howdy, folks. I have a confession to make. I am a serious coffee addict. I absolutely love, 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 love coffee. 
and I've been drinking coffee for a long time. Yet, there's actually something about coffee that I didn't know. According to Eat This, Not That, coffee lovers know there are so many reasons to hold the wildly beloved beverage close. The taste, the comforting ritual, even coffee's benefits for your hair. If chief among your reasons for loving coffee is the turbo charge it gives your wake-up each morning, you may want to take a slight pause. That's according to a registered dietitian who says if you actually want to get the most out of your daily caffeine dose, there's a prime time window that delivers the biggest benefits. Huffington Post says that while so many of us are in the habit of pouring a cup of coffee immediately upon wake-up, Waiting just a little while both prevents the anxiety and mood swing that some coffee drinkers experience and sustains the energizing effect for longer into your morning. Here's how it works. For some coffee drinkers, that dreaded sense of anxiety may be the result of your trusty caffeine clashing with cortisol, a hormone that's triggered when the body experiences stress. According to this report, cortisol actually combines with adrenaline to provide an advantageous jolt of energy about 30 to 45 minutes after we wake up. Some experts consider this part of the body's natural means of shaking awake. According to insight from Tracy Lockwood Beckerman, a registered dietitian and author of The Better Period Food Solution, there's a more ideal window to drink coffee. It's after you've allowed this effect to wear off. Quote, There is some science behind isolating caffeine and peak cortisol so they don't go head-to-head -head and have negative compounded effects in the body, like the jitters, Beckerman said. You basically want the caffeine in the coffee to shine as a solo artist and not be influenced by the strong effects of cortisol, end quote. She explains that thanks to cortisol, your alertness and focus tend to peak 30 to 45 minutes after you wake up. So, Beckerman said, waiting about an hour after you wake up to drink your coffee may, quote, allow cortisol to mellow out and give you the true caffeine buzz, end quote. It's just a bit of critical coffee thinking, but if you really aren't trying to wait for that caffeine sensation, another good tip is to be sure to hydrate before having your coffee. That's because the body loses around a liter of water while you sleep, and coffee is a diuretic that draws water out of the body even more. Eatthis.com Huh, that's pretty cool. I had no idea. I'll have to try that out for sure. Maybe if I get a little more bang for my buck, I might be able to cut back. Because like I said, I'm pretty seriously addicted to this stuff. Yeah, that caffeine is a hell of a drug. And now, apparently, so is... Marijuana? Apparently, high-potency weed has been linked to psychotic episodes and a mysterious vomiting illness in young users, according to NBC News. One day in fall 2018, Bo Gribben began to vomit and couldn't stop. He threw up multiple times an hour from morning to night before his mother drove him to the hospital near their home there. Quote, It felt like Edward Scissorhands was trying to grab my intestines and pull them out, said Gribben, then 17. Over the next nine months, Gribben went to the emergency room 11 times for the same problem. Severe vomiting and screaming at the same time that lasted for hours. When a physician assistant told him the likely cause, Gribben did didn't believe it at first. He had never heard of marijuana producing a side effect like that. Quote, the only thing
thing that convinced me was that it stopped when I stopped smoking, said Gribben, now 20. Colorado and Washington became the first states to legalize recreational marijuana in 2012. Several years later, doctors in Colorado and other states are expressing alarm over the increasing potency of cannabis and the health risks it may pose for young users, from psychiatric issues, including violent psychotic episodes, to the mysterious condition that plagued Gribben. The condition, officially called cannabinoid hyperemesis syndrome, but now known to healthcare workers as scromiting, a mashup of screaming and vomiting, has popped up with increasing frequency at hospitals in Colorado, doctors say. The ER at Parkview Medical Center in Pueblo saw only five scromiting cases in 2009. By 2018, the number had risen to more than 120, according to data compiled by Dr. Brad Roberts, an emergency room physician at the hospital. Reports of the syndrome doubled in two different ERs in the state shortly after after legalization, according to one study. Roberts said the presence of these patients strains hospital resources. When faced with people suffering from bouts of non-stop vomiting, doctors often order up an array of diagnostic tests to rule out other underlying causes. Roberts said, quote, We use up a lot of medical resources to see if there is anything more seriously wrong with them, end quote. A 2018 National Research Review called the syndrome, quote, an increasingly prevalent and complicated problem for healthcare providers and patients, end quote. Cannabis has been consumed by humans for thousands of years, but relatively little is known about cannabinoid hyperemesis syndrome. The condition was first reported in scientific literature in 2004. The available research since then indicates that it stems from chronic use of especially powerful marijuana. A 2017 review of studies found that 97% of people who developed the condition reported using marijuana at least once a week. About 75% said they consumed cannabis regularly for over a year. The authors wrote, quote, These patients often undergo expensive medical testing, may require hospital admission for symptom management, and often experience significant delays in diagnosis, end quote. The authors noted that it's not yet known why some marijuana users develop cannabinoid hyperemesis syndrome and others don't. The fact that marijuana is used by many people to suppress nausea adds to the mystery. People who've had the syndrome say it can be alleviated with hot showers or baths, but the episodes often continue until the patient stops using marijuana altogether. Scrometing cases have increased as pot has become far more powerful, according to doctors. Experts say the marijuana consumed 20 years ago had levels of THC, the main psychoactive ingredient, of 2 to 3 percent, but cannabis products now, sold in markets like Colorado, can have THC levels as high as 90%. Dr. Timothy Myers, the chair of the emergency department at Boulder Community Health, said when he first arrived at the hospital 18 years ago, it was a condition he never saw. Quote, now I see it practically every day, end quote. Four Colorado doctors interviewed by NBC News said they've also seen an increase in the number of patients with psychiatric issues after consuming powerful marijuana. A 2019 study 
study found that consuming cannabis with THC levels exceeding 10% increased the odds of a psychotic episode. Roberts said, quote, Almost every day I see a patient in the ER who is having a psychotic break after taking high-potency THC, end quote. Dr. Karen Randall, who works in the Parkview Medical Center emergency room with Roberts, said she spent 19 years working in a downtown Detroit emergency room, but that didn't prepare her for what she characterized as the high volume of quote-unquote acutely violent psychotic patients in Colorado. She said, quote, I never saw anything like this, end quote. Marijuana has long been considered a non-addictive drug that causes few, if any, serious side effects. It's still not clear if it causes more serious mental health problems, but a growing body of research suggests it can have damaging effects on adolescent brains. An increasing share of Colorado's $2 billion cannabis market is made up of concentrates or other products with high levels of THC, according to Tim Rubal Jr., who founded Dispense, a company that tracks inventory for the industry. Rubal said concentrates made up 43% of the market share in 2020, up from 32% in 2019. Quote, Evidence for how cannabis, especially in higher concentrations, impacts mental health is growing and stronger, especially on how it relates to psychosis and schizophrenia-like symptoms, said Dr. G. Sam Wang, an emergency room doctor and toxicologist at Children's Hospital, Colorado in Denver. These impacts are seen more with higher concentrated products and with more frequent use. End quote. Randall and Roberts were among a group of Colorado doctors who threw their support behind a state bill designed to close a loophole that allowed young people between the ages of 18 and 20 to get their hands on large quantities of high-potency pot. Cannabis is not legal in Colorado for people under 21, but prior to the bill's passage in late May, 18-year-olds could get state medical cards after a brief call with a doctor, allowing them to buy up to 400 doses per day shopping from store to store. The new legislation requires those under 21 to visit two separate doctors in person to get a medical marijuana card and limits the amount they can buy from an individual store. It also restricts the amount of marijuana concentrates that people over 21 can purchase at medical dispensaries and mandates the creation of a tracking system to prevent people from going shop to shop to amass large quantities of pots. Representative Judy Amabile, a state lawmaker who represents Boulder, supported the bill and gave an impassioned speech on the House floor, linking her own son's experience with schizophrenia to cannabis. Quote, Everywhere he went, this product was available and in greater and greater concentrations and potency, she said. It's too late for him, she added. Let's talk instead about your children. End quote. In an interview with NBC News, Amabile said she was surprised the bill passed with such wide margins. She said, quote, To me, that is a sea change, and I credit this group of activist moms who testified, who really put in the work to educate legislators. End quote. The bill is directed at young people like Will Brown, aged 17. Brown told NBC News his mother would sometimes find him on his bedroom floor, unable to speak, after he inhaled concentrated cannabis oil vapors in a process called dabbing. Quote, I knew I couldn't stop, Brown said. My life was falling apart around me. End quote. 
Jasmine Block, 18, said she got high-potency cannabis from dealers who obtained medical cards fraudulently. Quote, they wanted to profit off these younger kids who don't have access to this, she said. I am an advocate for stricter marijuana policies and stricter doctor-to-patient relationships and the qualifications you need to meet in order to get a medical marijuana card, because from experience, it is so easy to get your hands on. End quote. Both Block and Brown are now sober and attend 5280 High School, a Denver charter school for teens with substance issues. They said they're alarmed to meet kids in their recovery groups who dabbed in middle school. Brown said, quote, it's kind of terrifying to just watch, end quote. Colorado's cannabis industry supported the new legislation. Truman Bradley, executive director of the Marijuana Industry Group, said the trade association believes young people, quote, should never use cannabis and unless under the strict supervision of a medical professional. MIG has worked with a broad base of Colorado stakeholders for over a decade to provide young people with evidence-based information in order to make good decisions, end quote. But Bradley said he doesn't see the need for additional regulation on marijuana potency. Quote, I guess I don't see the correlation between a potency change and kids illegally consuming cannabis, he said. It shouldn't happen, whether it's 60 percent, 50 percent, 40 percent. The issue is, how is it getting there? And I feel like we took a major step to get there, end quote. He said eliminating certain products altogether would encourage the black market. Quote, teenagers are going to do what teenagers are going to do, end quote. Bo Gribben is now sober and headed to college this fall to study electronic music. He said he's clear-eyed that what happened to him was a result of his own decisions, but he said the industry should also be held accountable. He said, quote, I don't know if anyone needs Needs to go to jail, but I think they need to be sued. End quote. Gribben's mother, Robin Noble, said pot may work for some people, but quote, for my son, it stole his curiosity and interest in life. Now that he has stopped, she said, his general joy is back. End quote. NBCnews.com. Wow, now that's kind of crazy. In particular, that whole scrometing thing sounds horrible. And I'm not exactly sure how I feel about this psychotic break thing. But it is kind of interesting what you can learn about the substances that people put into their bodies if you just give it some time. Kind of like this next story. As reported by the New York Post, the Johnson & Johnson vaccine will soon have a new warning from the Food and Drug Administration after the shot was linked to a rare but serious side effect in a handful of patients. The side effect, Guillain-Barre syndrome, a condition that occurs when the immune system attacks the body's nerves, has been detected in about 100 people after 12.8 million jabs of the single-dose shot were administered. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention told the Washington Post, the outlet, citing four individuals familiar with the situation, reported the FDA is preparing to announce the warning after the adverse reactions came to light. Instances of Guillain-Barre syndrome post-vaccination were predominantly seen in men age 50 and older and reported about two weeks after inoculation, the outlet said. Current data does not suggest a similar risk with the mRNA vaccines from Pfizer and Moderna. About 60 to 120 cases of the condition are seen each week, and it typically occurs following a viral infection, 
but the exact causes are unknown. While most people fully recover, some people have permanent nerve damage, and the condition is particularly risky for those over 50, the CDC said. The side effect is the latest setback for the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, which has been plagued by a series of hurdles since it was approved for emergency use in late February. Use of the vaccine, which has been heralded for its single-shot ease and its ability to inoculate hard-to-reach populations, was paused after it was linked to severe blood clots among younger patients. Within days, the pause was lifted and the vaccine was back on the shelves with a new warning label after an extensive safety review by the FDA and CDC found the benefits of using the medicine far outweighed the risks. Production efforts have also been hampered by issues, including an April incident that saw the shutdown of a Baltimore manufacturing plant after the vaccine was contaminated with the AstraZeneca inoculation, which was being made in the same facility. The latest side effect will be discussed at an upcoming meeting where officials are expected to emphasize again that any risks associated with the vaccine are rare and the benefits outweigh the issues, the outlet reported. The FDA and Johnson & Johnson declined to comment. NYPost.com. Now, excluding the incident that hampered some production efforts after the shutdown of that manufacturing plant, all of these side effects that have been causing problems for Johnson & Johnson, as well as some of the other vaccine makers out there, could probably easily have been avoided if they had indeed taken their time and performed all of the steps that are usually involved in the development cycle of a vaccine. Also, if you remember correctly, if you've been listening to my show for the last year or so, there were a number of stories I reported on last year that involved people experiencing tons of side effects after taking the trial vaccines, including Guillain-Barre syndrome. So, to be completely honest, none of this should surprise anyone, least of all the vaccine makers. But hey, whatever. Huh, you know what I just noticed? That even when I revisit a subject I've covered in the past, I still learn something new. I could swear that I've heard stories about people who are either considering or actually have taken multiple versions of the vaccines. If an AstraZeneca vaccine mixed with a Johnson & Johnson vaccine is contaminated enough to shut down an entire manufacturing plant, exactly what's going to happen if that same combination is inside a human body. Obviously, I don't have a clue what's going to happen. I guess like most things, only time will tell. For the ACR, I'm Adam Clark, and this has been the Daily Ruckus for Monday, July 12, 2021. For more information, please visit alternatecurrentradio.com.